you are hungry for the Word tonight, how many of you want to learn about the Holy Spirit? All right. Well, let's stand and we're going to read, I think, yeah, just an opening verse. And then we're going to get into, I'm going to talk to you tonight about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are thankful that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you? He dwells with you and in you. Isn't that a blessing? All right. Let's read John 14, 16. This is Jesus talking. And read it with me, would you? And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby, that He may remain with you forever. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for your incredible promise to give us the Holy Spirit to live within us. Help us to learn to commune with Him, fellowship with Him. Be sensitive to His leading and His promptings. Help us, Lord, to not grieve Him, but to walk in the Spirit. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good tonight. All right, I want to read to you. I pulled this little uh, statistic out because I couldn't believe this, but then again, I could. But in a Barna survey, a Barna survey in 1997, 61% of U.S. residents surveyed agreed with the statement that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's presence or power, but is not a living entity. Now, I want you to think about that because. According to some stats that I've heard lately, 85% of Americans consider themselves Christian. But I want you to look at the gross ignorance here of the Word of God, and I want you to know that it's really sad. And we are not going to be this way. We are not going to be biblically illiterate. All right? Because faith comes by hearing what? The Word of God. So the more you hear the Word of God, the more your faith is built. Well, where does that leave the faith of 61% of U.S. residents who don't even understand that the Holy Ghost is a living entity, a living person, the third person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost? They don't understand that. But I've been sharing with you now for about a month and a half that the Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing or a force, or just some ethereal presence, but the Holy Spirit is a person. He, notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, he will give you another comforter that who? He may remain with you forever. So the Holy Spirit is a person who lives inside of us. These uh, statistics that we just read, What they don't understand is light years from what the Bible teaches about the third person of the Trinity. A.W. Tozer wrote, By the mysterious operation of the Spirit in the new birth, that which is called by Peter the divine nature, enters the deep in core of the believer's heart and establishes residence there. The minute you're saved, the Holy Ghost establishes residence in you. He's living in you. You are his house. You are where he dwells. You are his temple. 
He doesn't live in a building. He's not in a holy of holies anymore in the Shekinah presence in the temple. You are the temple and he's living inside of you. God the Spirit is living inside of you. Isn't that powerful? The saving work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer is a gradual and progressive work, guiding the soul step by step according to the will of God. Now, what does the Spirit work inside of us? Well, I want you to know that, first of all, the Spirit draws us to Christ. And I'm going to probably spend a whole evening on this one thing, the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. But you, you need to understand, I know I harp on this a lot, but we've got to give God the glory where the glory is deserved. We didn't find the Lord. The Lord found us. We were corpses on a slab spiritually, and the Spirit of God came and quickened us. When we realized that we needed Christ, it was because of the touch of the Holy Ghost on our heart. And the Spirit drew us to Jesus Christ and brought us from death to life. How did we come alive? What are we doing on church on a Wednesday night instead of sitting at home watching Ugly Betty or something? (laughs) Why in the world are you in church? Because the Spirit of God quickened you and changed you. And he raised you from the dead and he gave you a whole new set of hunger. He gave you a whole new set of desires. It's a desire for the things of God. And that's why you're here. You wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday. Why did you seek God like you did today? Why did you pray? Why was your mind on him? What were you thinking about as you drove here? Thinking about what am I going to be taught? What am I going to hear? I can't wait to hear the word of God. I'm hungry to worship him. I want a fellowship with the saints. Where did all that come from? It came from the Holy Ghost living inside of you. He has quickened you. We could put that in in just plain English and say he lifed you. He lifed you. Okay? So he drew us to Christ. He brought us from death to life, shined into our minds the light of truth. And then you know what he did? He wounded and broke our hearts over sin, ultimately to move our will to embrace Christ by faith. Please understand with me tonight, church, that never for a microsecond, not for a nanosecond, would you have ever been convicted over sin unless the Holy Spirit had convicted you. Conviction of sin is different from guilt. He convicted you that you were in sin and needed to be forgiven. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Once in Christ, the Spirit then comes to dwell within the heart and the soul of the believer. And this is where we're going tonight. I want you to understand. He's living in you. He's abiding in you. He's dwelling in you. Read this with me. This is out of the Message Bible. I just have to go there sometimes because it just puts it in a real easy to understand way. Let's read it. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Your body. Now let's go on. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God owns you. I like that. God owns the whole works. He owns the whole works. He owns you. All right? 
Look what Paul said. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Now tell your neighbor, not everybody does. No, let's be clear about this. This whole thing about God's in everybody. God's in everybody. We're all God's children. No, we're not. No, we're not. Well, he created all of us. That's right. He created you. But that doesn't mean you're his child. Only when you've been born again are you his child. If you haven't been born again, you're the devil's child. Jesus said that. And the Spirit of God does not live in everybody. He only lives in those who have been saved. Remember, he says, that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, read the last part with me, do not belong to Him at all. Now, I'm just going to let that soak in a second. I think it's time for the church to start preaching its distinctiveness. Our message is distinct. There's only one way to salvation, and that's through Christ. And if you don't go through Christ, the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, don't jump on me. Don't call me narrow-minded. Don't go persecuting or pointing a finger until you've read it for yourself. Until you've been born again, the Spirit of God is not in you. He's not in you. You haven't been saved. You haven't been regenerated. You haven't been quickened. It's exclusive. Our salvation is a one-way road. It's a one-way God. It's a one-way Messiah. And if you don't go that one way, you don't get in no way. So the Holy Spirit abiding within is the distinguishing mark of the Christian. If the Spirit does not abide within us, we do not belong to Him at all. Fearful words. You know, people say, well, how can you say that? That's narrow-minded, that's bigoted, that's, uh, that's not fair, that's this and that and the other. You know, you're, every time you say that, you're looking at salvation through natural eyes. And who are you to reply against God? Does the thing made say to him that made it, why have you made me this way? No. Does the thing made say to him that made it, why have you made salvation just a one-way road? That makes it so simple. You don't have to try 20 different things. There's only one way to be saved. And that's the distinctive message of the church. You can't go hug a tree and be saved. You can't be a good person who never gets a traffic ticket and be saved. You can't be somebody who gives millions of dollars to charity and be saved by that. You're saved by the blood. You're converted when the Spirit of God comes in you and quickens you, and then He comes to live inside of you. But unless you go through Christ, you're not His at all. I'm so ready to preach that to our culture. We need to hear that. I'm so sick of this watered down, diluted, polluted, compromised Christianity light. 
because it keeps people from being, from being saved. If I got cancer, I want the doctor to tell me. Amen. Come on, everybody, so I can fight it. And if we don't belong to him, to whom do we belong? Scripture says the devil. Search the scriptures. There is no third possessor of men. It's either God or the devil. Search the scriptures. And that's our authority. There is no third possessor of men. You don't possess yourself. And maybe somebody's listening by radio right now, and you think you do, but you don't. The scripture says you're owned by the adversary of your soul or you're owned by God. You're possessed by the adversary of your soul or you're possessed by the Holy Spirit through Christ. Nobody owns themselves. That's a delusion. You are not independent. You're not an independent entity. There's no such thing. You're submitted to one or the other. So notice that the Spirit and Christ go together. To have one is to have both. If you've got Christ, you've got the Spirit. And if you've got the Spirit, you've got Christ. We may be formal members of His visible church, but unless we are partakers of that vital union, which comes from the indwelling of the Spirit, we are His only by name. There's all kinds of Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics and Pentecostals and Charismatics. That is, people associated with those names who are not saved. They have not had a personal encounter with Christ. And you've got to have your own encounter with him. And when you do, you get the spirit of God inside of you. And it's very clear something's happened to you. Good. Amen? Amen. One commentator writes, the spirit visits many who are unregenerate with his motions, which they resist and quench. But in all who have been truly saved, he dwells. There he resides and rules. He is there as a man. He is there as a man at his own house where he is constant and welcome and has the dominion. We should ask ourselves, who dwells? Who rules? Who keeps house in my body? Since the Spirit of God dwells within us, how devoted should we be to God and His service? How carefully should we lend our ear to His softest whisper, our wills to His gentlest sway, and our hearts to His influence? I'm going to tell you, church, every day He's talking to you. Every day the Spirit of God is touching your heart. Every day He's witnessing to you and guiding you and convicting you and, and preventing your flesh and and, and, and giving you peace in the middle of the storm and strengthening you when you don't feel you can take another step. He's there inside of you. Thank God for the, the abiding presence of the Holy Ghost. I tell you, I wouldn't be in the ministry if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how anybody can live in this world and survive it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? Truth be known, most don't. Now, three things are suggested by the word indwelling. Here's the first one. Can everybody say with me? Intimacy. Now, that is suggested in the word indwelling. Intimacy. As the inhabitant of a house is more familiar there than elsewhere. 
So is the Spirit in the hearts of Christ's redeemed. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Now, here's what I'm saying. He dwells in you. Now, he's in the whole world, but there is a difference. Remember, David said, is there any place that I can go to avoid your spirit? Anybody in here ever try to get away from God? <laughs> and when you arrive at wherever you were running, he was there and said, hey, been waiting for you. Old Jonah found that out, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And there's nowhere you can escape from God. Look what he says. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Hi. Wait, what are you doing here? I just left you way back there. No, you don't understand. You'd have better luck trying to get out of a fog that was 100 miles in circumference and trying to find any place where it wasn't than to get away from me. So he's everywhere. He's everywhere. But guess what, everybody? His presence is not manifest everywhere. The presence we felt here tonight, the presence you feel in your heart right now is not manifested everywhere. His manifest presence is not everywhere. He's everywhere, but not his manifest presence. Jesus made this distinction clear when he said, even the spirit of truth, whom the world, say this with me, the world cannot receive. That world out there, lost people can't receive the spirit of truth. Because it sees him not, neither what everyone knows him. They don't know him. But you, what everyone, you know him. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. You know the Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? How come? How in the world do we know him? Here's why. For he dwells with you. And Jesus said, shall be in you and he was pointing to Pentecost and now Pentecost is done happened and gone so he's in us and so we know him have you ever had a really really tough day you get home you're tired you're beat up the devil's been after you people were mean to you you just want to crawl into a hole somewhere and disappear and suddenly the spirit of God just comes and touches you and the minute he shows up it's, it's, you recognize him. You know him. Say, ah, that's the Spirit of God. You recognize his touch, his presence, his voice, his peace, his strength. You know him. How do you know him? Because he's in you and he's dwelling with you. He's inhabiting you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is an unknown to those people out there. That's why I love preaching the gospel. That's why I was so thrilled to hear that this is going out Christmas Day all over the world. Because think about it. What we felt tonight, what you feel right now, it's unknown to them. What a tragedy to live a day without the Holy Spirit. While those outside of Christ sometimes believe they can find God in nature, and that's pantheism, hug a tree, go out and meditate on the eternal rhythm of nature, that's pantheism. 
That's, you, can, you can see that God made it, but you don't fellowship with God through nature or by other means of their choice, like false religions. They cannot. They cannot. They are not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. And I, believe me, what I say is not in any way condescending. I used to not fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You used to not fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the mercy of God that we got saved and he placed his spirit within us so that now we have this fellowship. Amen. The world of natural men are utter strangers to the Spirit of God. And they're totally unfamiliar with his sanctifying work. But he intimately reveals his presence, his manifest presence, to those who have been saved. Now the second thing suggested by the word indwelling is faithfulness. It's got to be faithfulness. Dwelling, the word dwelling expresses a permanent abode, a permanent home. The Spirit does not touch the saved in passing or just come upon them in some powerful miracle service. Occasionally, as he did the prophets of old, he abides within them and brings to pass eternal works in our heart. He's working every day on you and me. He's got every day a a hammer and a chisel. And he's chiseling the character of Christ inside of us every day, whether or not you feel him. He does not come to the believer as a visitor, but as an inhabitant. He is within us a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, man, if we were in sales and we were selling this, we'd be multimillionaires. Did you realize what we're reading here, what God gives you when you get saved? He lives in the renewed heart so that by his faithful influence, he maintains the life of grace in us every day. By the faithful spirit of God, we are, say it with me, signed, sealed, and delivered, marked for heaven. Amen. There was a, I I got an order for some books uh, a few weeks ago, and this woman wanted three books. And so I, no, six books, or anyway, several books, but she was way in another state. So I went to the post office and I was just thinking, you know, I don't know, I was thinking this way. I saw them take this package. They marked it. They signed it. They stamped it. I said, you sure it's going to get there? They said, guarantee. It's going to get where it's supposed to go. I said, okay. I walked out. About 10 days later, this woman emails me and says, where's my books? (laughs) And I said, I personally took them to the post office. I guarantee you it was signed, sealed, and delivered. It's coming. All right. I said, now let me know if you don't get them. A few days later, another email. Still haven't gotten my books. I'm thinking the post office does not fail. Rain, sleet, hail, or snow. Isn't that their motto? And so I said, I wrote back to her and I said, listen, I know it got sent because I watched them stamp it and sign it and seal it and deliver it. So it's on the way. I said, but if it doesn't get there, you, you let me know. A few days later, I hadn't heard from her, so I emailed her. I said, did you get the books? She wrote back, got them. Praise God. Now I got to thinking, I believed in the post office. I believed that if it was signed, sealed, and delivered, let God be, let the post office be true and every woman a liar. 
I said, that thing is going to get there because I believe in my United States post office. And then it hit me. If the post office can get it there, if Pizza Hut can get you your pizza, if man can deliver you what they have promised, then God has signed, sealed, and delivered you to get to heaven. It may seem like it's taken a while, but you're going to get there. Tell your neighbor, you're going to get there. (laughs) Oh, my. All right. By the faithful Spirit of God, we are signed, sealed, and delivered. Listen to Ephesians 4.30. Don't grieve God. Don't break His heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life and has sealed you for the day of redemption. Don't take such a gift for granted. Isn't that powerful? Signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, the third thing suggested by the word indwelling is sovereignty. Sovereignty. And that means ownership. Uh, Sovereignty is ownership. He is the owner of the house. Not a renter. God's not renting your body. God owns you. Listen to what Paul said. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Read it with me. You are not your own. Now, you know what that means in the Greek? You're not your own. Let me give you the revised Wickwire version. You're not your own. You're, 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 you're purchased. You're purchased with the only currency that could purchase your soul, the red blood of the Son of God. Previously, we were owned by the devil. When discussing an exorcism, Jesus said that once the devil is cast out of a person, he says to himself, I will return to my house. Now notice, he's claiming ownership of the body he dwells in that is not saved. You're not your own. Well, praise God, I'm just going to be totally non-religious, and then I'm going to be the master of my own destiny. You're deceived. You will not be the master of your own destiny. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you are either owned by the adversary of your soul who came into ownership of the human race after the fall of Adam or you have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. But you're never an independent entity, not ever. The Holy Spirit dispossesses the devil when you get saved and he takes up ownership. When we are saved, we become his house where he governs and commands after his own will. Amen. When Paul used the picture of a temple, his readers understood that a temple is a sacred dwelling employed for the honor and glory of God, where he is to be revered and worshiped, and from which all idols must be removed. The word temple meant way more to them than it does to you and me. That's one thing I've I've been amazed at with our culture. 
you know, there has been such a loss of respect for the house of God. It's just amazing to me. People will walk in here and sit wherever and get up and walk around and clop, 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 clop with their shoes and slam doors. And, you know, one Sunday morning I looked out here and here's a guy, his baby was crying. So he just started doing military presses with his baby. And and the people behind him were just like, (laughs) and I'm trying to preach. And I thought, hey, this is the house of God. Now, this isn't where he dwells, but this is where his people meet. Back then, when you said temple, there was a, ooh, temple. That's where God lives. And there was this respect and this awe. Well, you're supposed to have that over your own body that has been bought. When Paul uses the picture of the temple, they knew what he meant. Now, what are some of the evidences and fruits of the Spirit's indwelling? How do you know the Spirit of God is dwelling in you? If you speak in tongues? That's the acid test for some people. And I got to tell you, I just don't see it in the Word. That's not the evidence. I know people that don't speak in tongues that have the evidence of the Spirit of God. And I know people who speak in tongues that don't seem to have any fruit at all. What is the real biblical evidence of the Spirit of God? Well, wherever the Spirit dwells, He to some degree mortifies and subdues the evils of the soul in which He resides. That's how you know the Spirit of God is in somebody because evil is restrained in their life. Anybody in here ever done anything evil? Boy, y'all got your halos six feet up in the air. Can I tell you, your halos are tilted? All right. Look, look what he says, Paul, in Galatians 5, 17. The things our old selves want to do are against what the Holy Spirit wants. Uh, The Holy Spirit does not agree with what our sinful old selves want. That's why you're always in a battle. That's why your flesh tempts you to do something and you feel this check and this battle. If there was no Spirit of God in you, there wouldn't be any battle. You'd just be living in sin. But since the Spirit of God lives in you, He is against what the flesh wants to do. That is, the sinful actions. Not eating a good meal, except sometimes, if it's too much meal. I already know I got to hit the gym after Christmas. It's like, oh my gosh, I've never eaten so much in my life. We were out every night last week eating. <laughs> you know, I just, I just feel like, oink, 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 oink. I mean, everywhere we went, here, you know, turkey, dressing, gravy, potatoes, butter, butter, rolls. I mean, oink, oink. I'm going to the gym after it's all over, but now look at this. <laughs> Have you noticed that when it's the sinful things your flesh wants to do, the Spirit of God rises up and says, nope. And He helps you mortify or put to death the deeds of the body. Listen to this. Though He does not fully kill sin in believers, He does subdue it. But if by the Spirit, Paul said, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, 
you will live. How do you put to death the sinful promptings of flesh? By the Spirit. There's no other way. There is no other way. You got to keep your spirit man strong. You got to keep the spirit man strong. Two dogs are fighting in you. And which one is going to win? The one you feed the most. So you feed your spirit man all the time. He does not so utterly subdue the flesh that it never troubles or defiles the believer again. But the flesh's dominion is taken away. Perfect freedom from the flesh awaits us in heaven. You want to know when this battle is going to be over? When we get to heaven. Now, here's another sign the Spirit of God is living in you. The Spirit produces within the the believer a spirit of prayer and supplication. How many of you pray today? Yeah, probably just driving along, walking along, doing whatever you... But there's still something inside of you that reaches up and prays to God, right? Now, in the same way, Paul wrote, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Now follow this now. The outpouring of the Spirit and prayer cannot be separated. If the Spirit of God has come upon your life, you're going to, be, you're going to pray. He moves us to pray. Do you know that when I got saved at 16 years old, this is the honest truth. When I got saved at 16 years old in juvenile home, to my memory, I had never in my life prayed, not once, until I heard the gospel and called out on Christ. As a 16-year-old, first time I ever prayed to God. I had no knowledge of God. But once I got saved, I started praying because the Spirit of God came within me and He moved me to pray. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God's in you. And if He's in you, you're going to pray. You're going to pray. Uh, wherever He is poured out as the Spirit of grace, He's also poured out as the Spirit of supplication. He helps us before we pray by stirring up our spiritual desire for communion with God. He helps us in our prayer by helping us to ask for things according to the will of God. He helps us after our prayer by inspiring hope and patience to wait for God's answers. But in the whole process, the Spirit of God is there before, in, and after. And finally, where the Spirit of God dwells, He works a heavenly and spiritual frame of mind. Are you ready for a strong verse? Look at this. Those who live according to the sinful nature, the unsaved, have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Have you ever noticed that getting up in the morning and opening up the Word and getting with God is like setting the compass for the whole day? If you start your day with the Word and with prayer, it's like setting the compass due north. You're looking up, and your mind has been adjusted to have itself on the things of the Spirit. But if you jump up, grab a piece of toast, turn on Good Morning America, listen to all that terrible news, walk out the door in a hurry, go to the office that way, wherever you go. Have you noticed, And not to mention just getting out of rush hour traffic where everybody's in the spirit. (laughs) 
And have you noticed that when you get to work, you're in a bad mood? And you're not thinking about the things of God. You've got to set your brain, your thoughts, first thing in the morning. Now, he says, if you are living in accordance with the Spirit, that means after the Spirit or having been born of the Spirit, your mind should be set on the things that the Spirit desires. Now, I know what you're thinking, and that's why I wrote this. In closing, you may be saying, if the Spirit of God dwells in me, why am I so listless when it comes to spiritual things? Anybody in here ever listless? Tell the truth. With spiritual things, you've got to kind of jumpstart yourself sometimes. Come on. Come on. Boy, every time I say come on, I get more hands. (laughs) One, two, three, let's all tell the truth. It's hard bringing that halo closer to everybody's head. Did you know that um, the very fact that you're concerned about this reveals the working of the Spirit in your heart? There is a vast difference between spiritual death and spiritual deadness. I want you to hear me. Spiritual death is the condition of the lost, while spiritual deadness is the condition of thousands of God's people. Do you know that nine times in one psalm, Psalms 119, David prayed, quicken me. I need to be jump-started. I need to be touched by the Spirit of God. While you may experience spiritual listlessness often, isn't this true? It's not always the case with you. Isn't that true? There are seasons when the Lord breaks in upon your heart, stirs up your zeal, and sets your soul at liberty. Clear proof that you are not deserted by the faithful comforter of God. Amen. We all have ups and downs and we all have dry times, but the Spirit of God is faithful and He has come to abide in you. Amen? Amen. So let's stand together and let's thank God for that abiding Holy Spirit. Are you glad that He plucked you out of darkness and placed you in His life? Can we just thank Him right now, Father? Thank you. For the amazing mercy of God that reached down and touched us when we were blind and walking in the valley of the shadow of death. Spiritual corpses on a slab, no life, and yet you convicted us of sin. You showed us our need of a Savior. You drew us to Jesus. When we repented, you filled us with your Spirit. And now we're signed, sealed, and delivered. We thank you, Lord, that the Spirit of God is working in us every day. Help us to be more sensitive to Him. To listen to His faintest whispers. To fellowship with Him. We thank you, Lord, for your Word. Now, take a minute and just say, Lord... Help me to walk in your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Steve, can you lead us and have thine own way, Lord? And just let's let's sing it before we go, church. Mm -hmm.